0: So Al, you want to introduce our guest? Our first ever guest interview. <laughs> exactly. So, we're so excited because exactly. we're like real professionals. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, Ted, is a delight to have you here, everybody. This is um, Ted Sakura who is a uh, uh, longtime comic book creator, movie creator, uh, head of Hero Tomorrow Enterprises. I'm not sure if I have exactly the word, but has done all kinds of things that I have done uh, uh, first stumbled onto at a comic-con and then began to actively follow because i love the quality of the work and uh, you know welcome to a uh, relentless geekery steve and i have been doing this for about a half a year now probably i don't know four three three going on four dozen episodes and indeed you are our first guest so i've been waiting to say this welcome to our ted talk
2: See, so- <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for having me
1: All right.
0: Okay. So I'm sure, and hopefully we've got some people out there going, I've never heard of this guy. Who is he? So go ahead, Ted, do some unabashed bragging about
2: yourself. (laughs) Oh gosh. Um, (laughs) We do it all the time, so it's fine. I have had a weird, um... can we pause a quick second? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Alan, you're so quiet. I can't even hear you. I mean, I can barely hear you. I have to turn way up to hear you. And then Steven's really loud. I'm louder.
1: Yeah. yeah i we've tried i have that all the way up this is kind of funny we have uh i i over the course of the of time i have troubleshot this as best i can
0: i think it's just the mac that's what I tell them I'm on a mac yeah. you know exactly oh uh, man yeah. well there
2: goes my theory yeah max there they go man Now um, i'm
1: at- yeah exactly i'm in the minority steven and i were just talking about how you know I, I the way that i run my life and do investing is based on modernity and it's like why in the world would stem anybody still buying a steam powered windows computer as compared to a nice uh-huh. sleek m1 but, mac
0: i mean because steam powered <laughs> is way cooler no
2: i'm, I'm with okay Alan so. all the way all right do you want to restart Maybe. or do you want to just pick up from where i was about to introduce Oh, just please, actually. Just,
1: why don't we? Wait, we, wait. we can restart. Uh, so here, let's restart as you suggested. Um, so, uh, welcome to Relentless Geekery, and welcome to our very first guest, Ted Sakura who is a, a comic book and movie creator, uh, head of Hero Tomorrow, um, as as uh, one of the first people that I knew that has done wonderful Kickstarter projects that have proven to be. Um, I guess, you know, an instrumental in getting his work out. Uh, I first stumbled onto Ted at a Comic-Con where his work was displayed. I I loved it. I thought it was very early Marvel-esque, and because I'm a big-time comic book collector, I was happy to start talking with him. And instead of getting the big brush off, because I was a swooning fanboy, we actually had a wonderful conversation. And now every time that we get a chance to visit, it's what's his latest, you know, so here I am probably in my tap dance killer t-shirt because I've become one of those cool Kickstarter patrons or, or or sponsors, I guess is a better way way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) But I just, I, 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 not, not to go on too long, but I really loved from the start, the tone of the books, the quality of the dialogue, the fact that they were set here in Cleveland and with like recognizable locations, I've been to that corner, that theater, that coffee shop, coffee shop. And, and just it was a delight to be in support of you. And then to see your star on the rise has been, well, in my own tiny little, way, I guess I've helped. You know what I mean? I have, since the very first time I saw your work, I regularly have talked you up to my friends who are also comic book interested and say, you know, don't leave this one off your radar. It's it's so well done. And it's such a uh, a passion project. If you like comic books, the best thing about comic books, he's really captured so much of And not only, hey, I I buy a hundred comic books a month, I look forward to the next issue instead of it being, oh boy, here's another, uh, you know, another series that's giving it a try. So having said that, like I said, gushing, uh, you know, welcome to our TED (laughs) talk thing. um, Maybe, Ted, you'd like to correct anything (laughs) I got wrong (laughs) and and, uh, uh, tell us all about uh, how happy you are to be doing what you're doing. (laughs) <laughs> oh my
2: gosh. Uh, well, wow, there's no leading question <laughs> there. Great. Hey, thank you so much, uh, guys, for having me on the show today. And um, yeah, Alan, really to you and to anyone who ha- you have turned on to. I'm, I'm so grateful to have your support um, and um, yeah, you know I mean I, I uh, you 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 picked up on things that I, I hope we are accomplishing, you know that that we're we're trying to do comics. Um, in a modern way, in a new setting, but with a nod to the classics that we grew up loving so much. And, um, you know, trying to uh, almost take like the, the Bronze Age of comics and evolve them in a different direction than the way things did evolve. So we, we kept, you know, the big captions on the cover and all the hype and, um, you know, the, these kind of exactly larger-than-life arcs that, you know, you really can't get from Marvel or DC anymore and it's not anybody's fault. It's just the fact that it's very hard to create an impactful Batman or Spider-Man story anymore. You know, there's just so much. When they have 70
1: years of mythology to be beholden to. Yeah.
2: And when you start with a brand new universe and there's no superheroes when it starts, every villain is introduced and it's like, Wow, we've just increased the villain population by 50%, you know, and and um so uh yeah, I mean I, I, some of the reviews have really liked that. They they've, they've called that out that it's it's just refreshing to be in a universe where you can be on board from the top and it's yes. you know, obviously told with with um a passion for what, you know, Lee Kirby and Ditko, Ramita, you know, what what they created.
0: I was going to say that that That's what I really loved. I mean, I met you at one of the wizard worlds and just said, Oh, local guy. Okay. I'll check it out. Why not? And I got it and it sat for a while. I'm like, okay. You know, I helped him out. And then I started reading and I'm reading it going, wait a second. Is this a reprint from something I missed back in the seventies? I'm like, Oh my God, this is just like, I'm like, this is great. And then, you know, you get the, the, different characters and villains. And I'm laughing because, you know, they're not like these super power, It's like some guy pulled a suit out of his garbage can and put it on to be a superhero. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, it's that it's not the spandex. It's not the shiny. It was more normal, average guy feel, but they get something weird that happens to them. And, you know, and in fact, I didn't uh, Ilya say, uh, you know, this smells like a rotten, Gar- suit or something like that when he first got it. Uh, and I, I love
2: it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, than a cave.
1: It was always a quandary in Spider-Man. Like, how right. does he wash his costume without having Aunt May find out about it? And so, you know, it's just that. You can't, you can't wear a superhero costume on yeah. patrol for 10 days in a row without getting...
2: What I was going to say is, um, what I loved oh, nice. about Marvel, as opposed to DC, um, is that, you know, the, the, the person behind the mask is so much more important and uh, at least in my opinion um I was a Peter Parker guy you All know right. I just I I growing up I felt that character mm-hmm. he, he related to me and I related to him and you know it was just sort of there was a magic there that I never felt with Clark Kent or Bruce Wayne and I I you know I would pick up Superman or Batman for 10 issue runs and I was just, ah I'm just gonna stick with my Marvel people you know and um I guess when it came to creating Ilya, you know, my father used to have a tire store in Akron, you know, and, and many summers uh, or after school weekends, I'd be down there changing tires. I was 13 years old, changing tires with these guys. And um, I, I just yep. never felt like the dudes, those kind of dudes were ever represented as sort of an alter ego. And that's so we made Ilya just sort of this. You know, blue collar is almost a you know uh, an upgrade for what he. I mean, he drives an ice right. cream truck, you know, and he's he really just <laughs> any any exactly. job to get by <laughs> kind of guy. And um, I, I think it's really just kind of taking what Stan and, and and Steve did with Peter Parker and and trying to make him even more relatable. And you know, like if Peter Parker shows up in a in a you know at a party, he's the most brilliant person there. You know, Ilya is probably the dumbest. (laughs) So you said you like Spider-Man. What are some of your favorite
0: Spider-Man stories? Because we talk about comics and stuff like that every day.
2: (laughs) Oh, gosh. I I mean, I I have amazing Spider-Man from, you know, from issue 141 on. You know, I've stopped a couple times for short runs where – there was an episode, you know, it was six or seven years ago. He was driving around in a spider submarine and I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> I'm done, you know? Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, and I, I gave it up for like just a couple of years and then I came back in, you know, with, I thought superior Spider-Man was terrific, but I'm about to drop it again. I think it's horrible. It's gotten so bad. This, this you have thing to wait did, for the
1: like, various different writers and artists. No, that's, One of the things being a longtime comic book reader is you really sometimes have to like outweigh that, you know, the editorial staff has said, "Okay, we're going to give this writer, this artist a run on the book. And maybe in two or three issues, you can go, wow, Frank Robbins artwork, not that great. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to stay with this. And same with certain writers, especially when they follow a good one where it just seems so leaden, so like off tone compared to the things you came to love about the book. And I don't know that I ever stopped collecting uh, until, until, you know, finally stopped forever, but it was, boy, did I, did I go through some, some things that were like, this is a matter of my stubbornness and my passion to like read everything. As opposed to if I had to decide where I'm going to spend my money, a third of the books that Marvel and DC and so forth over the course of time put, I was like, man, I got to wait for you guys to go through a Renaissance because you, you really have lost What's the, I don't know if, if there's, If Marvel is based on certain classics, you know, there's the Jekyll Hyde thing. There's the, uh, you know, Prince and the Pauper thing. When they lose track of that and introduce the spider submarine, it's like there's so many examples of jump the shark type moments. where, And in some cases where they did a lot of work to retcon the bad stuff back out of existence. Or they just like reboot the entire universe because you were tired of having too many funny talking animals, (laughs) you know, interacting with the realism of what was going on. And so it, I get what you're saying. And in fact, maybe that's, that is when you're, if I'm not sure exactly when you started, but if it was in a fallow period for the industry where it just was a lot of things seem to have become repetitive or they'd lost the magic. And then you read something that's like, wow, this is like early Spider-Man, like early Nova, you know, where they really seem to capture This is what it would be like to have a a regular Joe get superpowers. They'd have to learn how to use them. They'd have to explain disappearances. They'd have to, how am I going to keep a girlfriend if I have to like bug off in the middle of a date every once in a while. And, and it was just, it was very interesting to, to see the mix of realism and heroism and that it wouldn't be easy. You'd have to continually, you'd have to have that big heroic instinct that drove you because otherwise it'd be so easy to just say, this is, uh, Um, a burden I am unwilling to bear. This is something that I just can't do. It's wrecking my life, not while making the world a better place. It's wrecking mine. (laughs) You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So,
2: so I started 141. It was really, and I've gone back and I've got a lot of the issues between 100 and 150. My favorite run, gosh, and I've read them all. You know, I have all the omnibuses or whatever to go back. I, I loved some Marvel team up stuff as well. Like when I think of my favorite Spider-Man story, there's a, there's a Marvel team up with the man thing where they fight despair that issue. It's like issue 72 or something. It just strikes me as such a great heroic story. Cause he's Spidey's beaten down so bad, but the way he comes back in that one, it just, it just, when I think of it, it just, that's the story that pops in my head. Mysterio was always my favorite villain he was the villain in issue 141. There you go. Um, exactly. So, and I, I have the electro as well, because I just love that old costume too. Um, nothing can stop a juggernaut. I love, I loved Carrion. I thought he was such a great villain and um, should have been a top 10 rogues gallery, but he, they screwed him up so bad. In fact, if I ever had the chance to write Spider-Man, I would, I would do something with Carrion and, and he would be the most badass character in the, you know in his in his whole rogues well um,
0: that's an idea ted you should make your own <laughs> comic book and make a character very similar you know that's an idea is something for the future <laughs> maybe
2: um and let's see uh moon knight was another character i loved oh my god what, the first run of this? moon knight with bill Kevich and doug mensch oh that is
1: mwah. I remember him being in the back of the Incredible Hulk magazine, right? The Savage Hulk or whatever it was. That was the first time that he appeared. And I was just like, how how did they come up with something so great, but then relegated to this? Maybe they weren't sure. You know, in some cases it is, okay, that's a pretty interesting idea, but mental illness, you know, multiple personality disorder, as you know, it's not an easy sell. You can't splash that on the cover. Hey, you know, which of his four personalities will fight crime today? You know, it's not an easy, but it was from the start so much deeper. And like, That and sometimes not only is he mentally ill, but some of his villains you can tell they're really um, not connected with reality, but they're passionate about what their worldview is. And so to see the depths to which you know sometimes when you have your your supervillain that's just I'm a megalomaniac kind of a cackling guy I'm going to try to get as much money as possible, and then sometimes you have the ones that just want to see the world burn that really are like crazy destructive or whatever it might be, it was very interesting to see both the heroes and the villains having similar problems with connecting with reality. You know what I mean? And, And like you said, Doug Mensch, however he could put himself into that frame of mind or of unmind, it's really wonderful. One of the reasons I recommend, for instance, Doom Patrol, and especially now I just got a chance to get into the Doom Patrol series, was Grant Morrison with Crazy Jane had such Insight or sympathy or, you know what I mean? It, it, they really have brought things in where it's, uh, there's, there's uh, such, I don't know what to call it. I never, I don't know that I've ever understood that kind of mental illness and the burden of it and the, both the power and the helplessness of it. Anyway, I know we're going off field, but I agree with Moon Knight and the fact that that's uh, becoming a series now and that they're going to explore that maybe where they get a chance to, you know it's a it's a niche production instead of having to be a big screen movie i hope that they bring out some of the the best aspects of he's he's kind of a nut and yet he's his heart is in the right place when he's in the right mind and what are they going to do with all that he has a great cast of subsidiary characters you know Frenchie, and anyway there's a whole bunch of good stuff that can come from that kind of the anti-batman aspect you know he's rich enough to have gadgets (laughs) you know but uh but that that you don't know that he doesn't have a code against killing. You know what I mean? So is he gonna keep ratcheting up his armaments? <laughs> that he's gonna like, wow, this whole neighborhood is corrupt. I think I'll just like one division. Blow it up. <laughs> or like I don't know, like or yeah. or, or honestly, like Cleveland. When I first got to Cleveland and I found out that Elliot Ness came here after the Untouchables and did the whole like get rid of the shanty town with malice aforethought. I didn't know that part of Elliot Ness, like Mr. Goody, untouchable type stuff. He, again, we tend to do this. We tend to jump around, <laughs> pre-associate on relentless geekery, but because it's, you know, if, if there's going to be things that I, I as I go my new home, it's very interesting to find out, wow, there's history here that never penetrated to Chicago. <laughs> and so I, I have had um, a chance to inject that into my consciousness, you know, that sometimes your heroes have feet of clay that's a comic book trope pretty often you know so so, so uh,
0: Ted, okay Anyway, real quick my my favorite i don't know if you've read this the it's newer spider-man renew your vows uh where it takes place in battle worlds it's like all after everything changes and peter's like the last hero that they never caught um i, I was telling alan about that one it's one of my favorite spider-mans because He's got his daughter, Annie, and he's married to Mary Jane and they, and uh, Venom gets out and he's threatening Annie and Peter loses it and just starts wailing on him to get him away from his family. And for me, it was super powerful story because they get to this ban- abandoned building and Peter's trying to, you know, figure out what to do. Mary Jane shows up and basically tells yells at him, Hey, the building is completely empty. And like the scene, Spider-Man just turns and looks at Venom. And you could just tell from the art that, Oh, he's about to unleash some shit. And he just totally goes wild on Venom, like breaks his arm and hand beating on the guy. And I, it was just so powerful because it's like all that pent up rage that (laughs) Peter has had for years. That's probably my favorite Spider-Man of recent years.
2: That was good. I did read that. Yeah. I love that one. So,
0: let me let me ask your, your newest book is bloom and she first appeared in the tap dance killer series. I haven't caught up with all of it yet.
2: Uh, it was actually in a number five and okay. yeah, she is the, and, and we did that on purpose again, because like in fantastic four, number five, they introduced Dr. Doom. So we were like, all right, issue five, this is where we bring in the big nemesis of the whole arc. Dr. So, um, yeah, she's been in the, the shadows or, or in the foreground throughout that series. And she's been a bit of a mystery, you know, And she, Apama starts kind of being, he feels like he's being pulled into the forest and he meets Regina and this whole cult and they've been waiting for him for a long time. And, you know, he comes upon before he meets him, he's, he comes upon this area of trees where there's these burlap little sacks with the palm of face, you know, kind of painted onto the sack. And he's like, what is this? He opens it up and it's all these heads of animals and humans. Yes. And it's like this weird calling for him. So then when he meets Regina and and he just can't do anything against her because she's she's been waiting for him for, and she even, one of the lines in a palm five is I missed Woodstock because of you. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And um, so <laughs> this is uh bloom is going back to 1969. Um, and we're, we're seeing exactly what happened to make this, uh, you know, so, all right, if I was, we we we're seeing her origin and, and to set up the origin bloom is about a guy who is trying to create a comic book in 1969. And he has an idea for a villain. Um, He was tripping in the woods on acid and and he's an artist, you know, and, and he, he was seeing all these symbols floating around him and he starts sketching them all out and he's like, Oh, this is great. You know, but he, he was feeling at the time he was working on his superhero character and these symbols made him forget something about it. And so he always thought that these symbols feel like the auntie of my hero. So they're going to be the villain. And, um, so he buys a mannequin. He's, he's he's painting these symbols on the mannequin. His fiance is like, what are you doing? This is, this is evil looking. He's like, yeah, but this isn't the Donna Reed show, you know? Um, so, Basically, he he goes to a, a street fair, in the Hessler Street Fair in Cleveland, and uh, which I found out actually did take place in 1969 for the first time. So I was like, oh, my God, that's perfect. So um, he yeah, that's he, awesome. meet, he meets this dancer, Regina, and he's like, you know, you'd be a, a really neat inspiration for my villain. And she laughs and says, all right, let's do it, man, whatever. Um, They go out into the woods. He paints the symbols onto her body and then she starts to break on through to the other side and it's the story of the two of them in the woods as you know ramsey my my the comic book artist this you know devout atheist versus regina who believes everything and they are having a real uh go at it in the woods and it's um I'm, I'm happy to say it's been getting really good reviews so far. And, um, we're, we, you know, our campaign's doing pretty well. We just crossed 8,000 bucks. So we're well over our goal. It ends on the 28th. Just it.
1: One of the things that I was going to say is that, um, Uh, My experience of your books is often that they're very cinematographic. In other words, that you, it shows that you have also been involved in video production or that how you frame things, how you move from shot to shot. It's not quite storyboarding where you're making the movie, but it definitely informs like how you draw focus, how you, how you do move through a sequence of things. And that's Bloom because it's got that psychedelic um aspect to it it's going to be very interesting to see this can't be done with just people putting on a costume and having a fight in a parking lot there's going to have to be interesting special effects and like dr strange level stuff so do you have all that kind of in your head how you want it to look like do you do you know it, it shows in the artwork are you informing your artist how you want it to look, or is it more Marvel style where you're saying, hey, draw
2: something. Well, Butch Mambo, who's the here. artist on the series, um, he actually beat out 200 other artists that submitted to this. So uh, what I really loved about his work, you know, before we talk about the psychedelic and, and the, the wild uh, was the human quality, you know, that it was so much about these two characters. And I, I needed to see two characters that just looking at them, I felt for them, both of them, you know, Regina can't be this over overly sexualized, you know, vampy woman and, and Ramsey needs to look like a guy that you feel like he's one of your buds, you know? So, um, when I had these people, you know, I had a lot of artists do tryouts and things and he just, he kept rising to the top. And so regarding the, you know, the way we approach scenes and things and, and the film. Yeah. I mean, when I made the movie hero tomorrow, um, one of the things I did was, uh, You know, I directed it. Uh, I co-wrote it with Milo Miller. We both produced it. When I say when I made it, we made it. It was a lot of people involved. Um, I storyboarded the entire film, Mm 1500 images. And it really because I hadn't made a feature film or anything like that before. That's where I learned kind of this thing that was maybe in my subconscious from reading comics all my life about this uh, visual, you know, sequential storytelling. And I do find it translates quite a bit. And um, so sometimes, usually the way we work is I will write a scripted page, I I give it to the artist, and they give me a really rough layout, you know, and I will then put that right into Illustrator. I'll put all my captions in and see if it's working, if it's flowing. And about half the time, I will make layout revisions and... um, you know, make sure that things are flowing in a certain direction. You know, we're not crossing the action line. A lot of cinematography things that I, I think a lot of comic artists aren't necessarily familiar with, but I do find if we apply them to the comics, it just makes for a, a seamless transition. Because ultimately, I just want the reader to, to not even be thinking about how we made it and, and just being immersed in the story. Um, uh, so then, yes. you know, getting into the, like the psychedelic effects and that kind of thing. Um, We just, we build it together as we go, you know, Um, but I'm always careful to, I never want any of our stuff to be something that the reader is like, what the hell was that? You know, I I don't even know what happened on that page. You know, that that's a big pet peeve of mine when, when a moment happens in a comic and I'm like, man, they didn't even try here to, to, you know, you can tell that was like the first attempt at a layout. And they just said, we're, we're running out of time or something. And uh, so the thing we have on the independent side is that advantage of time. We don't have to get these out every month and we can just do them until they're right. And if if we're not going to every ounce of quality we can into it then there's mm-hmm. no point in doing it
0: and it like alan said earlier it definitely shows uh it, it's uh, when i bought the first one i got soft cover and i had to go back and get hard cover so now that's why i got the hard cover of tap dance killer and i i, I these are special you know i need these on my shelf so uh, that that definitely shows in what you're doing um appreciate it. A, a quick question mm-hmm. yeah um so you've got offshoots of a with the tap dance killer and bloom and punchline when when you created these offshoots were you thinking of that originally like oh i want this character to come in on the sixth issue and be an offshoot story of its own or did it evolve after you wrote them and said hey i really like this i got other ideas
2: um the analogy i, I like to use is you're on a the way i look at writing this is we are on a road trip you know, driving across the country and we're not taking any highways. I know where we're headed, but if we see something interesting along the way, we are going to stop and explore. We're going to check into the motel. We're going to try the diner. Everybody recommends. So like this, uh, you know, tap dance killer was not really, uh, on the radar of, of the big thing that was happening between a and Regina. What happened is I was, um, you know, I do film work as well. And I was doing this documentary for near West theater and it was uh, coincidentally, you know, Ilya lives at West 65th and Detroit Avenue near West theater was building their new location at six. Yeah. Gordon square, two blocks, right. one Gordon block square, away, 67th and yeah. Detroit. And I said, Hey, what if Ilya's? I tell this to Milo, what if Ilya's is at the, at the coffee shop and some, you know, you know, cute gal comes in and she's got flyers for the musical. And she's like, Hey, we're auditioning. It's community theater thing. You want to, you want to come down? And Ilya's is like, you know, I'm tired of getting my ass kicked as a superhero and why not do something fun. And so, and plus I might get a chance of picking up her digits, you know? And so he uh, he goes to this audition and, and we just, we just ran with this idea completely out of order from what we were wanting to tell. And I, for me, you know, a PAMA 10 and 11, this two parter is, is one of the things I'm most proud of in my entire career. I just love it. And so then, so here we are, I'm at, you know, I'm, I'm showing this book off at like New York comic-con really where it was very palpable. Um, people were coming up and going, who is this character? Who is this tap dance killer? What's this about? And I, I would tell her, Oh, that's Nikki St. Clair. You know, she's a mega talented actor. She gets cast in a horror show musical, then gets permanently locked into the role and starts trying to wipe out the mafia. And they were buying the prints of her. Images of her were being liked and shared on Facebook by the <laughs> thousands, which was not happening with a no matter how much we tried. So I was like, all right, well, why don't we give uh, Tap Dance Killer a try here? And uh, then in Tap Dance Killer, I had the opportunity to introduce a character who was intended to be an Apama villain, Punchline. I always liked the idea of this heavyweight boxer who becomes a super powered murderous clown named punchline, right? You know, and, uh, you know, two years before DC ours debuted by the way. <laughs> um, and, uh, so anyway, when tap dance killer had its first five yes. issue arc, I thought, man, this is a punchline really wasn't challenged all that much in that first series. And I thought this is a great opportunity now to continue the story of these Vaude villains, you know, and, and let, punchline take the lead and you know Nikki will still be in it but uh now more in a supporting role i love that
1: yeah i love that story and from what i've read of marvel history it, again I'm, I'm happily drawing the parallels they had any number of times where what they thought was a one-shot kind of a throwaway character just caught the public's imagination <laughs> that wonderful lightning in a bottle and so since we mentioned earlier moon knight he first appeared in werewolf by night and sales skyrocketed, big buzz started, and they're like, well, are we gonna let this go? Are we gonna run with this? Are we gonna do something with this? And it it's very cool that you had that experience of doing something like, you know, hey, we, we me and my my bud Myler were talking, let's try this. And then it's a little bit weird to say, well, oh, my baby is being overshadowed here, but it's very cool to have the whole world say, Wow, you know, don't pay attention. You know what I mean? This character is writing itself. We want to see more of her. We yeah. you know, you you really have yeah. captured something here and, and it's funny you say that, Alan, because
0: I mean that's exactly yeah. what Spider Man was. Oh yeah, throw that spider character into the, the last episode of this amazing fantasy. <laughs> he won't do anything good.
1: <laughs> yeah we're canceling this book anyway, right? It really
2: was that he was supposed to be like an can
1: edition almost, you know what I mean? Uh,
2: Stan Lee said that about J Jonah Jameson. Like he was just sort of a toss off character in one of those first issues. And then, you know, you're just writing stories and you're like, you know what? I think I'll come back to that guy again. And
0: and I forget his, the actor's name, the guy who plays him in the movies. He's so perfect. (laughs) I mean, he is that character. JK Simmons. Yeah. JK Simmons. He's excellent, let me ask you so exactly. you've pretty much used kickstarter for all of this have you not
2: we did uh well we did it a little strange in that we um first we were just when we made the movie we thought wouldn't it be fun to do the issue the issue number 1 of the book that was in our character's head apama so we just did that digitally put it on the website and it was getting really nice reviews, and we had so much fun making that comic, we thought, well, we weren't even thinking of selling it. Then we we did a second issue, put that on the website. And the thing is, we were finding is we were getting lots of reads on it. People were writing nice reviews, but we weren't selling any more movies of Hero Tomorrow. So we thought, well, then Comixology happened. And we started selling them on Comixology. And when we got to issue five, which was that First okay. Regina story, we decided to do a Kickstarter and go into print for the first time, and we were just terrified of doing anything in print. It just seemed like such a world that was foreign and alien to us. But it, it, we did. We raised about fourteen thousand on that first Kickstarter, and then we decided to just hold back all the single issues and just do a volume two, which was issue six through eleven uh, of Apama Volume Two. And then when Tap Mm -hmm. Dance Killer was debuted and I decided to do single issue or I decided to give her her own series. I didn't want to wait. Oh, I now The thing I forgot to mention was Diamond picked up the Apama Volume 1 trade and we were very fortunate to get in with them. And they gave us a staff pick. They really liked it. They gave it. They wrote a staff pick review of it. Volume 2, the same thing they gave us a staff pick review. And, uh, we are one of the few like creator owned companies that has like one single shared universe in diamond. You know, there's, there's not a lot of that. And, um, we're, we're thrilled to be part of them. So with tap dance killer, I was like, man, I don't want to wait till I have five issues and do a trade through diamond. I said, why don't we try single issues for the first time? And then it was at that point we thought, you know, Apama never had his single issues, you know, and it always just came out as a trade, which was, we did things completely backwards. We did a movie before we did a comic, and then we did the trade before we did the single issues. But uh, I think right. the single issues benefited from that because we were able to go back and remaster things. We changed some things, cut some things out or, or tweak the dialogue. So, you know, when people ask me, what's the first appearance of a Pama? You know, it's a, it's a complicated answer, you know, because people collect single issues and the APAMA now exists in issues one through 11 with main and variant covers and APAMA 12, when that comes out, that will be a single issue first. And I think that will unite the whole single issue thing as being these really are the first print single issues of that series and and the collectability of them. In my opinion, people just don't collect trades as as you know uh they don't get them graded that kind of thing so i i think you know a couple years from now or even now do people really regard that our trade came out before the singles probably not
1: i i think all of that is true in other words that that the, the path you took to get it all to come out is a little bit the reverse, but anybody arriving now to the scene, they're going to follow what they think is the traditional thing of I'm going to get number one and I'm going to you know get number one through 12. I'm going to read them all if I like it. And then if I want to have a reading copy, because I don't want to wear down right. my sealed in you know uh, CGC armor type copy, then I'll get the trade and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it is very interesting to have people arriving now then instead of, trying the first things and getting individual issues that they there's whatever the binge watching thing is that people have nowadays about tv there's a certain amount of that in people that they kind of don't want to buy into something if they think well it's an independent will it keep going am i going to be left hanging there's any number of independents as you know that said you know issue number one of six and they made it to three and then they disappeared and so for anybody that kind of likes closure (laughs) there's all kinds of uh comic book interruptus that has happened to people and so the fact that you have things in the can and so i guess to get to a question while you're working now on bloom do you already have a certain number of issues kind of already done and you'll be releasing them over the course of time or is there still a kind of an ongoing hey we should probably get an issue out it's next next question whatever Uh,
2: bloom was originally um it was in the ill-fated april 2020 preview guide and, uh, you know, was right before the shutdown, you know, that, that I don't even know if that preview guide got distributed at all. And before Diamond, my, my rep, said, hey, you know, this is not looking good for a launch. Um, do you want to see if I can pull this? And I said, please, yes. Thank you, God. <laughs> our, and our relationship with Diamond is great. Um, the thing about it is we only we don't make enough with diamond sales to pay for these comics, you know, to make them the printing, the art, all that stuff. So even waiting without conventions, I'm just going to lose money on every book. So there, that wasn't really an option. And then I, we had never done a Kickstarter for a single issue before. That's why I decided to do punchline. Number one as a single and see how that went, how it was received. And it did great. It, you know, it did close to, um, 12 or 13,000. And um, I just thought, all right, this is really viable. And then I talked to some of my retailer friends and I said, Hey, how would you feel if when this bloom series is released, I'm also running a Kickstarter at the same time to make up for lost convention income. Like I didn't want the retailers to be like, Hey, I thought this was an exclusive diamond thing and you're selling it on the side. I'm like, no, they were all really cool about it. They're like, no, you got to do what you got to do to survive. And so, you know, and I'm sure look, our, our, our highest backer count on Kickstarter was punchline. It had like 302 backers. So with 2000 shops, that's not really going to be a big chunk of, of whatever they were going to sell. And I don't think it's, I think it's largely not the same audience. Um, So uh, here we are. And, you know, the, we've already raised um, enough to pay for the print run um, through the Kickstarter campaign. And that means the diamond sales will, will be, you know, in the, in the black. So that's, that's new for us.
0: It, r- real quick, uh, Alan, uh, comic interrupt this. You can take medicine for that. So I know you're getting older uh, if you need it. Um Ted, I I love you talking about that because as Alan knows, I've been working on writing some novels and some middle grade fiction books, and it's been an adventure and a journey. We chat about it every now and then, but being in the author community, the indie publishing community, there's still a big mindset that, oh, you have to go and do this and then do this and then do this, but you're, you're kind of proof. You don't necessarily have to, whether it's comic books or novels, you can, do what works best for you at that time, and you're not beholden to others. And me personally, that's one of the things I love about w- what you've done with Apama and Tap Dance Killer. And Bloom oh, and I Everton.
2: appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it also comes from you know knowing what it takes to make a movie, you know, <laughs> and and how difficult that was or is. As a, as you know, I I just feel like man with comics, whatever you dream up goes right on the page. You're not trying to, um, you know, find the budget for a location, you know, in a Pama, we go to the moon, we do anything. And I just, uh, I just, it's so liberating. So yeah, I have to hire an artist and, and, you know, we have to, we have to produce the books, but compared to making a film, I just think this is the greatest thing ever. So yeah. And, and, you know, if writing a novel or whatever, you're in control of your destiny, you know, and, and the further you can do, i think get you know on your own before you have to bring other people in you know the better off you'll be uh in, in in many cases
1: so one of the things i love talking with artists about how they do it um you're you're with bloom you're going back in time to like the late 60s as you said i missed woodstock for this you, you used earlier you know brick on through to the other side are you putting yourself in that kind of 60s frame of mind i don't know that you're taking lsd yes, but are you listening important. to the right music are you you know how are you capturing that how are you internalizing that and then reflecting it back out you know can can you walk us through a little bit of i got a blank page and here's how i do bloom
2: oh this is uh yeah this is the, this gets weird and meta crazy um i when i was making regina for the Apoma series. I knew I wanted, a uh, so you guys, I don't know if you've ever heard of Helltown, but when I was growing up, there was this area near Peninsula that they would, in Boston Mills, where they, they referred to this sort of cult activity that was going on in the late 70s. And it turned out there was an area in the park that was uh, overtaken by the government for the park system, but it used to be houses. So you'd be walking through the woods and you'd come upon these abandoned houses. So it yeah, became a houses, area- Exactly. Yeah. It became this area where people would just party and who knows what all, but it was referred to as Helltown. And I thought, man, this is a Northeast Ohio story. Let's have the Helltown cult. You know, I, I just wanted that. And who's the leader of the Helltown cult? Well, I, I know I wanted a female cause we had already done a, you know, we have a guy hero, a guy villain was our first one. I thought I want a female. I want her to, and I was on a video shoot. I remember somebody, we were, we were, um, shooting somebody and they had tattoos all over them and they were explaining the power they were getting from each tattoo which was something that i never had really thought about with tattoos i thought of them as more graphic and and that that just really that then the bulb went off you know and i was like okay so i started drawing this out in two dimensions and i just couldn't get the vibe of what i wanted you know i mean i did a lot of revisions and iterations and then um, I thought, you know what, if I get a mannequin, I will be able to see this in 3D space. And then I can give that to Benito Gallego, the artist, and I'll just photograph it from all angles and we can keep these these symbols on her body very you know, consistent. So I do that, I take that step. Yeah. Subsequently, somewhere along that timeline, I'm shooting an event at Cleveland Public Theater and I, I meet somebody in the crowd who's this dancer and she, she, she's got the right look for Regina. I mean, it's like, wow, this, this could be... I wonder if I could get this person to do a photo shoot with me. So, I mean, this is very similar to the, the whole thing I just described about what Bloom is, right? And um, so we is make the, a plan... To, exactly. that. <laughs> we we make a plan to go into the woods and, and shoot uh, some photos. But I, uh, you know, I've never done anything like that, you know? And I, I'm just... And our schedules are not aligning. So months are going by. And then who knows, two months, three months later, I'm just like, oh my God, what if I got her into the woods and we're doing this photo shoot? I don't know anything about this person. What if she really is this weird, like once she gets the symbols on her and there's, there is there is something magic in the symbols. And then it was like, oh my God. I, and I wrote a screenplay. I, I wrote this whole thing out, the origin of Regina as a screenplay. And it was Milo who gave me the title <laughs> when he read it. He said, it, Cause I was calling it, you know, the muse or, you know, villainess and all this stuff. but He said, what about bloom? And I was like, Oh my God, I love that title. So, um, then, uh, I, I so I wrote this whole screenplay and then what was the funny part is Soma, the woman who was going to, you know, pose for me. Cause at that point I really didn't want to do the photo shoot anymore because I would have had to tell her all this stuff that had come of it. But she said, Hey, I'm ready to do that photo shoot. You think we can get our schedules together? And I'm like, Oh boy. So I, I decided to come clean. I don't know her, you know. I'm like, look, that photo shoot that we didn't have actually happened in fiction, and it's really effed up. In my and, mind, um, exactly. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to, in, in, in good conscience, I have to share this with you <laughs> before we do this, and hopefully you're not going to think I'm some weirdo psycho nut. So she read it and was a real, real, uh, you know, she ha- she was a kindred spirit about the whole thing, and um, I always refer to her, she is Regina's godmother. <laughs> and but we actually did go out and do this photo shoot after, and I and I've used those photos many times for um, you know references for how Regina should move Reference and Regina. all. That. So, yeah, I mean to say this story is personal, and and you know there's things that the the main guy is based on a lot of stuff with my dad. You know, he's a mechanic, and he's. You know, his story resembles a lot of my father's story in the 60s, where, you know, my dad was a very talented artist. But when he got out of Cooper School of Art in Cleveland, you know, he had an offer to either make 50 bucks a week for the plane dealer doing art illustrations or 100 bucks a week doing auto work. He took the auto path and he never really did much with his art after that, other than, you know, teaching me things along the way. and, And so this is. You know, you hear this conversation in Bloom, and it's it's very much. Uh, there's things with my grandma in it, and you know, the the whole thing about the spirituality of it. I, I, I mean, Regina. What's funny too is when people draw her, you know, they'll sometimes give her um, this sort of real nasty villain vibe. You know, this this evil dark energy coming out of her hands. I'm like, that's not Regina. You know, that's she is. Regina um, Regina's a prophet you know, and the mainstream will not agree with her message, but she is, this is not someone who wants to just burn it all down. She's not looking for money. She's, we tried to, her Regina's thing is we tried to change the world peacefully in the sixties and it didn't stick. And now we're going to do it on my terms. Wonderful.
0: So let let me uh, ask uh, what Alan, like mentioned, what what are some of your favorite music artists and albums? We talk a lot about music. We tend to go off way too long. Uh, So what do you like to listen to?
2: Man, uh, I, I'm, music's been a huge part of my life. Like I I was in rock bands. I, I, um, I did musical theater. I wrote two musicals. So like, I, I mean, I've gone the gamut. Like I was, when I was first into guitar, I was into Kiss and Van Halen, like people in high school called me Teddy Van Halen because I was always playing guitar. But then, uh, I really got into the swing stuff. Sarah Vaughn, uh, changed my life. Sam cook. Um, not that he's swing, but, uh, but his swing stuff is amazing. Frank Sinatra. I went through that whole thing and then I got into musicals and Steven Sondheim. Um, so, but the doors, my God, when I think about Regina, I, I even in a Palm of five, she's singing, take it as it comes while she's carving right. the symbol onto his chest. If you look <laughs> back at that page, she's singing, take it easy, baby, take it as it comes. And like, uh, I just love the idea of the whole cult, just singing these rock songs from the sixties, like their church hymns, you know? And, um, so when I'm, whenever I'm working on bloom, I've got, dylan or hendrix or i've got this long long playlist of 60s stuff that i i pull out for that and um yeah i mean any recommendations i'm I'm all ears you know what a quick side note to that is um when we did a we did our first photo cover and um the woman who posed as regina alicia lynn she came in from pittsburgh i met her at steel city con And, um, she just immediately when I met her, she was cosplaying right across from me as a a character from this heroinburg series. But I just, as soon as I spoke to her, I'm like, oh my God, you have such a Regina vibe. And I showed her Regina and she was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is, this is so cool. And I said, well, she's tell me more about the character. Well, she sings, she dances in a band. She sings backup. She goes, I dance in a band and sing backup. You know, I'm like, oh, this is crazy. It's just like Josie who cosplays tap dance killer, who is also an actor, just like that, Nikki St. Clair. Uh, I'm going all over the place here. But um, so, anyway, we did this photo shoot. She came to my studio about three weeks ago, and it was just all doors. You know, we, we listened to the doors of probably every album while we we're doing the photo shoot.
1: I, I really love the things you just shared about like that it's all metafiction. You know, you see movies like Being John Malkovich, where, you know, the, the line between uh, who I am and what I'm putting into my work. And then after a while, maybe you don't keep a clear demarcation between that. And that's both wonderful and hazardous. And it sounds like there's an end that when coincidences happen in your life, you're like, I could kind of use this. And I don't think it's cheating. <laughs> the fact that the universe said, Hey, here's an idea for you. And it just kind of like plopped it in your lap. It's wonderful that you're meeting people that have a the, the sympathetic vibe and that, you know, I don't know. So, you mentioned what music like i would how about spirit if you ever heard 12 dreams of dr sardonicus there's a whole bunch of good old spirit that would be good for that 60s vibe maybe the first like blue cheer or some of the earliest of uh steppenwolf like heavy metal thunder you know what i mean the first i'm trying to think of what would be anything having to do with woodstock as you mentioned hendrix and crosby stills and nash and when they when they were so beautiful and then they stepped. Uh, the harsh lyrics of yeah. the beauty. It's like, wow, well, I'm singing along, but they're talking about people yeah. getting killed. And, and there's, I don't know, that the 60s, and, and I'm jumping around, as you just said, kind of all over the place. One of the things that would be interesting about your book is when you talk about, hey, they go to Helltown and they're chanting rock and roll as if it's, you know, satanic rituals. Well, isn't that the thing that all the people warning about rock and roll were always saying <laughs> that, that, you know, they're, they're going to go there, lose their soul to Satan. You know what I mean? All the backwards masking on albums and stuff like that. And then you put out a comic book that says, yeah, that kind of yeah. was, that would freak people out. <laughs> a little Mansonish, a little weird. Okay. Like you said, you tried out 200 different artists for this. Um, what kind of, like, how did you know? What kind of instructions did you give them? Were you looking for, in, I'm, 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 I'm kind of not saying this, what were your, uh, were you looking for gut feel? Did you have very strict criteria in mind? Were you looking for a collaborator or a kind of a commission? Just, I'll tell you what to do when you give it to me, as opposed to, I want to bounce story ideas off of you. And I guess you know, we've heard Milo a couple times. How much are you still, is there still things going on with Milo that you're, co-creators or have your have your paths diverged what what give us a little bit of background on that because i know that any number of times when i bumped into you guys at comic-con i was like uh okay i hope i remember which one i'm talking to i know that's a terrible thing to say but when you meet somebody once a year it's like uh, do you have a name tag so that i don't embarrass myself you know
2: (laughs) yeah no we we uh for a while we didn't look like each other, but then when he, his, his hair fell out too, we, we really uh, confused the hell out of people. And, and it's awful too for us because somebody will come up to me and then they're like picking up right with a the conversation they had with Milo. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not Milo. I don't, I don't know. And then they did, maybe they think we're aloof. So uh, yeah, we, we said we should um, have uh, uh, some sort of shirt that says, uh, you know, I'm not Milo, and I should (laughs) say I'm not Ted, which is what we did in one of our Kickstarter campaigns. But um, so, yeah, let's see uh, some of the questions, uh, trying to tackle them in order. With the artists, um, I was doing a search for both Bloom and Tap Dance Killer at the same time, because both, you know, there was a point at which I thought, all right, I want to do both of these series. And instead of doing two separate art searches, I'll just... We put the call out, we described both projects and said, are you, you know, if you're interested in one or not the other or both, let us know. So 200 people applied for both, you know, a combined and, and mostly they would have taken either gig to take the questions sort of in order with the artists. We, I, I decided I wanted to do both bloom and tap dance killer. Um, at the same time, like I, I I thought, let's not do two artist searches. So we put the call out. Both books were mentioned in it, described, and we got 200 submissions. And the way I, you know, initially I would look at the work that they had done and if they, you know, if it was a style that I thought I could see on the book, I thought, all right, so they, they get into that category. And then we, you know, we go through and see how are their sequentials? Are they, are they, is this like a cover artist or is this somebody that can actually tell a story? And, you know, you, the, the 200 keeps getting whittled down and whittled down. And then I would have them do a paid, um, not like a full price paid thing, but like an audition paid rate for uh, an image of either character, depending on how I was feeling about them. So we, we would get these pinups of either Tap Dance Killer or Regina. And from that, I would be like, all right, now I'm going to give you a sample, st- you know, whittle down again. Here's a sample page of action that I want you to lay out. And that will be also, a you know, a, a nominal fee that I paid to have, Who knows, maybe 30 people do page layouts. And it was in that process where it really got narrowed down, you know. And with Butch, I just immediately saw a Regina that I I cared about. I just thought this is, you know. And Donnie did an amazing image of Regina, which is one of our variant covers. Um, but I didn't Feel like she was approachable. <laughs> She's almost like a goddess or something. And I, it was, but what he did with Tap Dance Killer was amazing. And so uh, that he ended up getting that gig, and, and Butch got the um, Bloom. Yeah. And with Milo, uh, you know, we're still kicking around a Pama ideas. He's working on something now called um, the uh, the heel, which is this wrestling book completely unrelated to any of the stuff we've done in the past. Um, The reason I did tap dance killer solo is I, I, you know, the musical I wrote nothing like vaudeville years ago is where tap dance killer was pulled from. And same with the villains or terror. And so I, I really had quite a lot. I mean, I had, I've had those characters in my head for almost 25 years and I had a story I really wanted to tell. and, And he understood that. Um, Similarly with Bloom, when I created Regina, that whole thing, I I mentioned how autobiographical that was and, you know, that whole story. So that one also felt very personal. And I I did, you know, wanted to tell that one. But we, you know, we were we're still close. We talk um, we talk ideas quite a bit, you know, movie ideas or, you know, what what we want to do with the PAMA. The problem right now with a PAMA, we have issue 12 done. And now that we understand how we're going to be doing these things with Kickstarters, I think we have a a way of kind of releasing it. There is only so much with a small company like Hero Tomorrow that we can put out, you know, um, just really for the sake of quality. So you kind of just, for me as the president of the company, I have to go with what my gut tells me I should do next. And right now, Palma has been put on the back burner while these other characters develop.
0: Okay, So, do you have any preview of any other characters that are going to do offshoots on their own?
2: I have another character that I'm excited about, and she will debut in a issue one of her own. It'll be in the same universe. Uh, I, I, won't, I can't. I won't say anything about her, but um, yeah, there's okay. there's another one coming. Well, you
0: have to let us know oh, for what? sure. Yeah, there
1: there's. Many things seem to be, so let's talk, the comic book world often seems to be create as many characters as you can to see what catches on and then start the action figures and the merchandising and maybe I'll get a movie deal and so forth. And that's been a very uh, attractive, if not addictive thing for the I don't know, other independents, the Todd McFarlands of the world. You know, I don't know that I've ever read a good spawn story, but I know that there's a billion spawn action figures out there. And and so do you, are you being courted or do you have any possibility of you wanting to do, you know, like, I don't know, in your Kickstarters, you often have, here's the stretch goals and it's, we'll have a, a cool t-shirt, a cool poster, you know, various different editions, variant covers and stuff is Is it a possibility that you're going to want to pursue that interesting world of merchandising? I've never been a person that, like, buys dolls, if you will, and yet I'm always amazed at how when people talk about where they make their money, it's the Star Wars action figures, not the Star Wars movies, that there's just an incredible amount
2: of beautiful, how (laughs) cool is that? Okay. I had a, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. For, for anyone who can't see this, I'm holding up an action figure that was done by a fan uh, of Tap Dance Killer. This is a one-off, but I just, uh, I adore it. Um, yeah, we would, yeah, we would love to do anything like that. In fact, I was at New York Comic Con a couple of years ago when the, um, the the president of FYE, you know, the, the, the mall shops came up and they looked at the banner of Tap Dance Killer and said, what is this character about? and they said we've walked this entire floor and this is one of two images that we're very interested in and we they set up some in-store signings we they helped me develop the first tap dance killer t-shirt wow so we um what was interesting at the signings though people would would buy the book they they didn't buy the shirt so that didn't quite work out we did like four store signings but um we came close with that one, and you know, we're shopping around the intellectual properties to movie studios, and um, that's been ongoing. So, yeah, we're definitely interested in you know, my pie in the sky with this would be to do a TV series with it all, you know, so it's not just a Pama, the movie, or Tap Dance Killer, yes, but like a series that, and what I, I really like about that is tonally. I think we have three very different tones and you've got the, the, the friendly ice cream truck driver vibe. You've got the vaudevillains with their strange theatrical vibe, but then you've got the the, the woods with Regina and her sort of uh, <laughs> enlightenment. So I, I think it could be a, a really wild thing if we could get it all in one.
0: I, I love that too. We've talked about that, how, the world has changed with the streaming and everybody doing their own TV shows that people now aren't saying, Oh, I want to make a movie of my book. Oh, I want to make a TV show of my book. You mm-hmm. know, that, that we can build the characters much more in those and get explore many more territories, just like a series of comics rather than a one shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about that a lot. How, uh, I that's definitely what I think a lot of people would choose nowadays is go with the TV show, some streaming yeah. service. And there's a ton of them to the, choose from
2: that are doing great work. Yes. Yeah. The boys want a vision. I love them all. One of the
0: things that
1: I always hope for, you know, as I said, I love having oh, yeah. artist friends is that they are going to have that lightning in a bottle thing where if some part of life is, well, I was doing my art while I was also playing in the real world you know i had to work this job i had to whatever else it might be and you know what i mean it's meant to be able to give people who are doing interesting work that might be world-changing like to be free of the concerns of the world so for those five years they can work on stem cell research they can work on um solving the Pacific gyre with all of the plastic floating in it. And that's what I always hope for for my artistic friends is that they'll be able to like, wow, this didn't sell 10,000 copies. It sold a hundred thousand. And now I have money and money buys freedom and it buys me time. And it gives me the ability to do just what I want. And so I so much hope that for you and for other people that I think are doing wonderful work, but you know, the world is still a constrained place. And even though there's opportunities as Steven said in the digital world it'd be just so great to be that you get a home run and then that gives you like i said time and money and freedom to to see what you really could do if it wasn't i did this at 11 o'clock at night after my job was over after my kids were put to bed after my you know what i mean it's there's there's real world stuff that intrudes often into the artistic
2: yeah no you're you're right on the money with that and this is really um this year because of this release plan with both diamond and Kickstarter is, is the closest I think I'll ever, you know, I've had to date to doing that, you know, comics are really the, the main push of what I'm going to be doing this year, Uh, much more than, you know, before it was always film and I was fitting in the comics as I could, this is um, quite the opposite. And it, it feels real nice, you know, and and, um, I I know there's something that is so interesting to me that just, what happens if you keep making stories? You know, that's, that's what has kind of just surprised the hell out of me, that had we not just done this Apama series, none of this other stuff would have sprung out of it, you know? Um, and what's springing out of it is what's got me so excited now.
0: Would you, uh, since you did The Hero Tomorrow, would you consider doing your own movie based on one of the other characters?
2: Well, we were shopping around Bloom as, as you know, it, it's a pretty modest budget kind of movie. You got two people in the woods for 85% of it. And uh, so we were trying to chop that around and I would have been happy to direct it, uh, you know, if the right people would have come along to help with the production money and, and you know, putting that whole machine behind it. Um, we couldn't get that together, so made a comic. But yeah, any time yeah. I would do it.
1: So um, are you still a, a consumer as well as a producer? What other artists, writers, TV shows, whatever things have like that special spark that you make a point of, Oh, you got to catch this. This is really like nothing you've ever seen before. I love it. And any quick recommendations?
2: Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Let's see. On um, In the comic book world, I, I've really become disenchanted with Spider-Man again. You know, this whole kindred thing is awful. And yeah, um, you know i i came so close to writing marvel a letter and saying you have just lost your way with this character um however uh, i still get that i i'm not, what i get now more are kickstarter from other creators you know i i'm really uh, i'm so appreciative of the people who have supported mine and when i see somebody else doing it i i'm excited much more for that than any of the mainstream stuff that's coming out right now on the um you know there's people i follow though like mike allred i just anything he does i just love his style so much um he's got that robot something um... right now ex-roboters it's a it's a fun project very Mm -hmm. madman-esque uh i'm i'm totally into the mcu with my wife and daughter you know we, we we've watched all that stuff and and jada and i my daughter we watched wandavision every episode twice you know and, and when we've gone back and i'm, I'm loving that series I, I i loved it from episode one i i think i i knew that it was going to go to some weird places and we had to sort of establish this sort of thing at the beginning that didn't bother me a bit i know it turned off some people but my god it's great now um and it is it's alan are you caught up
1: yeah. on that Fully caught up, and in fact, oh, good. One of the, one of the uh, interesting things was, I read all kinds of stuff that was people that really didn't understand any of the history of it, yeah. but getting very impatient about, oh, what's going on? It's like, wow, kid, you you're really not going to give like a half an hour of. Not instant gratification that you're so impatient, so angry about that, that instead of just, hey, I'm going to stick with this and see what's going on. And the payoff, like by episode four or five, was really worth of, you know, the craft of being able to capture each of the generations TV-wise, going from black and white to color, going with the the stereotypical characters. I have much admiration for whoever greenlit that and said, we know we're going to get this kind of bad press and still do exactly what you want and tell the story and i it's been very satisfying
0: so so what's your guys's thought no go ahead uh like
2: like a spoilery kind of thought
0: yeah yeah whatever
2: well i do think it could be a mephisto and this whole thing with the um you know he probably came to wanda and said i will offer you know he, he found her in a dark place and said you want vision back i can give you vision back you can live a perfect TV style life together, you know, some sort of, he probably mentioned TV in there in some sort of, uh, you know, way that made it sound wonderful, but because it's a deal with the devil, they're jumping the decades and that he's speeding up the deal. Like you're going to live your whole life, but it's going to go by in a snap. And that would be some part of that would make sense to me. I mean, I know there's other stuff going on, obviously Uh, I, and I'm, I'm a big Monica Rambo fan and, one of the things I do at cons is, um, you know, if I get to walk the floor before they open and for years before everybody was doing it, I would go snag what I thought were going to be key issues, you know? So I've got like 14 copies of, uh, amazing Spider-Man annual 16. And, um, so I, I enjoy that element of it too. You know, did I guess right on this and, and whatever, but it got really hard once everybody had the apps and all of a sudden, the prices, you couldn't find the deals anymore. I'm, I'm getting off track. What else? Yeah, what do you guys think about WandaVision though? What do you think's going on? Well, I
0: know I've heard the Mephisto arguments and there's a lot of speculation as to you know who this Pietro is. But the fact that they're using the uh, X-Men first class Pietro, I love because there's been that rumbling that they're going to bring the X-Men into it. Are they go connect the old shows or not and stuff? But I know the new Doctor Strange movie coming out is going to have uh, Charles Xavier in it, uh, along with Reed Richards. Mm. So it, the question is, which Charles is going to be? Is it going to be an all new one or is it one of the ones we've had? So I, I, I honestly. I don't care what the storyline is because they've been doing great. And like I told Alan before, I just trust that they've done it right for the last 13 years. They'll keep doing it right. So I'm hoping that that uh, that keeps true.
1: Actually, my take on it is that it's all Wanda. You know, they established in comic books that she was an Omega level mutant. If they haven't used that term for her, it's very much, she said no more mutants and the entire world, the entire universe shifted in her, in her grief and in her madness And so I think that a lot of this is her dealing with her grief that she just can't live without her children, without the vision. I think that this is all her bringing into being her perfect situation and that she doesn't have the ability to maintain focus and doesn't know exactly how she wants it to look. So maybe that's why it's kind of skittering along and you're getting the the exposures of, oh no, here's the blasted version of the vision and that kind of thing. But I, I think it's going to be a a big kind of like alias was in some ways of you know when you're not well you can't necessarily you're not your own reliable narrator you're you're not able to maintain your grip on reality and when you have the ability to alter reality this this is a big cautionary tale if you will so we'll
0: obviously (laughs) being the first show after endgame and it's been like two years since a movie, this show is very much a Nexus show that everything for the next 10 years is going to relate back to this show in some way. And I don't think a lot of people understand that fact. There's just probably more things in it than we realize it's going to be five to 10 years before we go back. Oh my God, that was in WandaVision. You know, I, I, it's going to change a lot.
2: Well, we could get Reed Richards tomorrow, you know, because uh, that's the big, you know, who is Monica talking about with her astrophysicist? You know, she's they're on their way to see him,
0: right? And, yeah, and, and that could be where he comes in before, um, Doctor Strange movie. That'd be nice, that'd be cool. There,
1: there's some very interesting things there because Reed also has been, you know, through the course of comic book portrayals where he wasn't just um benevolent and brilliant it started to be that he really was on the spectrum and kind of lost track of there's a problem to be solved here and i got to solve it no matter what and if it involves canceling out other universes and dealing with all my other versions of reed you know what i mean there's a whole bunch of hickman books and just there there's they much expanded his role in the universe that if you really were so smart that you really nobody could understand what's going on in your head. That's kind of pretty inhuman. And what would you do if you really were the arbiter of what's right? When they started talking about the Illuminatus and those six people deciding the way the whole world should be for everybody else, that was a very dangerous thing. You know what I mean? That you, you really have that, if not megalomania, at least that So So we'll see. And I, I always do this, and I do apologize for this. There's a whole different world. whole different universe to the mcu and i always bring comic books in because i've read everything and i really have a pretty good memory of all that kind of stuff but they seem to like pick and pick ideas they want and discard other things there's no canon there's no it has to be this way because that's how it was in the comic books i am continually wow that's not that's not the whole thing that's not everybody that's not the best idea they're wow this i guess they had to fit 70 years worth of guidebooks into this one movie and that's then a, a really a, either a disappointment or a big startling thing for that's not the choice i would have made i like the way that stan originally told it or
0: whatever well i'm glad they're doing that though because it does give you the different universe to explore the, the retelling the only movie
1: that's right yeah
0: yeah the only movie i've been super disappointed as far as the story was civil war because i really felt like they crammed too much of it into one movie without enough of a lead in from the other movies they've done so many little things over three movies that led to some other thing that civil war felt a little rushed in the whole quote-unquote war you know there's interesting
2: about that one because batman versus superman was supposed to be on the exact same weekend and Civil they said no we're going to drop ours the same week and then batman and superman backed off but i wonder if there was a point at which they're like we have to make sure we blow the doors off of batman versus superman and then it got blown up I enjoyed Civil War, but if you really look at what Zemo's plan was, it makes zero sense. Like for all of those things (laughs) to fall in line to, you know, I hope there's security footage of, uh, you know, Winter Soldier killing Tony's parents somewhere. And I (laughs) I mean, it was just like, what? Right. Right.
0: Yeah. And Batman versus Superman. We've talked about that at times. Uh, Did you see the extended version of that with the added footage?
2: i don't think it, i have it's not out yet is it the zach snyder version or
0: oh it is it's out. oh no no
2: yeah no no no.
0: that's justice right League. right no i, I don't the, know if the i four- did. Is it better. oh god yeah it explain it it fits in some of the stuff that didn't make sense in that movie mm-hmm. and i think it's just some stupid exec said oh we need to cut this by so many minutes cut this out cut this out and the things they cut out were like duh why'd you do that you know uh and yeah we're excited to see the Zack Snyder Justice League.
2: Okay. Yeah. I I I'm, I'm just not I don't know, I'm not a DC guy. I just they just don't do it for me. I th- Did you watch behind well, the mask that new documentary? Not yet. There was a neat point in it that I hadn't really ever thought about that they they said um you know when Batman when when Bruce Wayne's parents get killed he he sort of becomes Batman in that moment, you know, and everything about Bruce Wayne is just so that Batman can go on, you know, like Batman is the, the, what he, who he is, the character, the the, the disguise is Bruce Wayne. That's very much Superman. Is Bruce Wayne. Clark Kent is the disguise. Superman is the real character. Wonder woman, the same thing. And with Marvel, it, it all became about, the, the person behind the mask, which is why the name of that documentary, and it was just, it was put in such a succinct way, and with the examples they showed, I'm like, wow, this is probably why I never got into DC that much.
1: Very interesting. You know, I've been going to the vaults. I have a, I have a book collection that I've been cataloging, um, and, and I, as I'm going through the history of it, I, I had a, a kind of a similar revelation. I really have. I bought everything for a long time, but I always liked Marvel more than DC. And the ones that I liked from DC the most weren't Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, where they were kind of like Greek mythology, very removed from humanity. It was Doom Patrol, Challengers of the Unknown, Metamorpho, Metal men, where they were Marvel style, if you will. Mm-hmm. The heroes were flawed. They they had made all kinds of mistakes. They Um, motivations of like of their patrons was not always the best it it was like they snuck some marvel into dc in those secondary titles and not even in the like flash green lantern still pretty big stuff all those other things that were an undercurrent in the in the dc universe is the stuff that i liked even when i was young because there was more to them the continuing stories instead of individual things and you try to put together the mosaic out of blips instead of it being no there's a a whole year run of how are they going to be able to escape anyway it that's i i've come to realize i've always liked that that the humanization of them and especially that it's not only about the heroes you know in in dc there are often villains that just i happen to put on a costume because i want to you know steal i want to there was shallow motivation as compared to Uh, i don't know lex Luthor is going to be superman's arch energy because he lost his hair it was only until much 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 later that someone retconned into that maybe he's a xenophobe and he thinks because superman is not of this earth that we're going to be you know humanity first earth first etc but that was always present in marvel that they always had that the villains had as interesting motivations as the heroes Mm -hmm. you know they were a tortured soul for revenge or they whatever else it might be and and so you could understand a little bit more the motivation and the obsession of something if it really was well like magneto instead of just being a villain when they revealed that he was a a a camp survivor a death camp survivor it gives a whole different perspective on why he's so adamant about protecting others like him and that he thinks the whole world is a bad place because in his growing up it sure seemed that every authority figure every every person that had power abused it. So anyway, I just I love the fact where there's more depth. And whenever people used to talk to me about why are you reading comic books? Haven't you graduated from comic books? Haven't you grown up? It's like no, you're just not reading the right ones. There's yeah. great stuff being done. And let me, I'll give me a couple hours, and I'll be happy to tell you <laughs> about yeah, yeah. how good comic books can be. So, <laughs> so and that kind of brings or us they around just to listen
0: to our podcast. <laughs>
1: It it does bring you around. I from from the first time I I read your stuff, I really thought that this is more the that Marvel style or that that ethos of there's something to the characters that it isn't just um you know four colors for uh, let's have a fight et cetera et cetera that there was really I cared about Elia and what was going on in his life and then Obama was just like. Another thing. It was not a distraction. It was primary to it, but it wasn't just a PAMA, and that he was spending time in Ilya in between adventures. So I I really love that you've captured that aspect of it, you know, that that Regina is not power mad. She's a prophet, and she's motivated by the certainty of her outlook as compared to, I don't know, I don't even know that she's going to try to force it on everybody else, but the only way the world's going to get better is if everybody comes to believe as she does. And we see, we see examples of that kind of madness in our world of certainty can really be a dangerous thing, depending on how much yeah. you're willing to do in the name of that certainty. Yeah. So, All
0: right. Well, we, I think uh, we've been going quite a while today, yeah. Al.
1: Yes. it's Ted, we can't thank you enough. This is uh, – yes. you're our first, and it really was – when Stephen and I were speculating, who would we like to talk to, it really was, well – He's brilliant. He's a hometown guy. We both love your work. I I just I you know gush 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 fanboy time, but I really can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us and giving us some insight into you and your work and and your world. It's really really cool. So, thank you.
2: Yes. <laughs> It was my pleasure, you guys. Um, this was a blast. And I, I love the questions, a lot of questions I've never been asked before. And it, the, 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 it's wonderful. So I, I and thank you again for the support you've given, you know, these projects in the past. And um, yeah, maybe one last shout out if, if this is before if you're hearing this before February twenty eighth, just head over to Kickstarter type in bloom. And make sure you watch our crazy video. Our video's yes. nuts. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely go be pushing this. Uh, ho- hopefully, we'll get some more people that we know that may not have heard of you. Because exactly. again, back to publishing—that's the thing with publishing. You could be, you know, putting ads out. You could be doing this, that, and the other thing. And there's still people that may not have ever heard of you that would love it. It's a constant. Thing. that's it that's the downside of doing it independently you have to worry about doing that
1: we're, we're yeah. going to do our best to be a statistical blip and we'll see so <laughs> <Yeah, hopefully. coach. laughs> you're 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 investing some time with us today so wonderful
0: thank you that no, for- was great good good talking to you same here guys thanks so you have been listening to the relentless geekery podcast come back next week and join alan and steven's conversation on geek topics of the week